Hello, and welcome to Surviving HG, the Truth About Plant Medicine podcast. I'm your Canadian host, Tori Moline, and I can't wait to share with you all the brave, untold stories of women who faced hyperemesis gravidarum and courageously chose to use plant medicine. These stories carry with them raw experiences, brave vulnerability, and ultimately the intuitive powers HG moms have deep within inside of us. This podcast marries two untalked about subjects, HG and the generation of women who were silenced, and the natural yet stigmatized powers of the cannabis plant. HG is the picture-perfect illness candidate for cannabis, but because it involves pregnancy and growing a baby, doctors in the medical world are reluctant to try it and to recommend it. Decades worth of propaganda still contributes to many people, including these doctors, outlook on plant medicine. In some places like the UK or Texas, for example, HG moms who choose to use cannabis out of survival to save them and their baby are persecuted. In other places, HG moms are given a hard time by social workers, family members, partners, hospital staff, and their OB and midwife. HG moms deserve justice after centuries of suffering. HG moms deserve to know about plant medicine as an option during HG pregnancies. HG moms deserve to know there are other women fighting just like them and making the brave decision to go against the social norms and choose plant medicine. HG moms need education, resources, and community after centuries of being deprived from it. These stories you are about to hear are from moms who bravely shared them in hopes of helping create change for future HG generations. These stories deserve to be heard. These stories deserve to be protected. And these stories deserve to be shared and listened to. These are the untold stories of HG plant medicine moms. Okay, today I want to just take a minute to talk about the impact that doctors and OBs, midwives, uh, whoever's responsible for an HG mom's care during pregnancy, I want to talk about that impact that those people have. Um, Here's a quote from the Her Foundation, hyperemesis.org, to kind of go with my point here. A large majority, 82.8%, reported that HG caused negative psychosocial changes consisting of socioeconomic changes such as job loss or difficulties, um, attitude changes including fear regarding pregnancies, and psychiatric sequel, for example, feelings of depression and anxiety, which for some continued postpartum. Patients who reported that their healthcare provider was uncaring or unaware of the severity of their symptoms we're nearly twice as likely to report the psychiatric sequel. So when HG moms are not supported by their doctor, this could look like not being told the term hyperemesis gravidarum, not being given medications to try, not being supported with cannabis. Um, it can get even worse sometimes. Some, some uh, medical professionals will congratulate a mom on their weight loss and continue to brush them off as if they were making it up. I can't even begin to imagine how painful that would be. Um, And so that quote really takes a look at the lasting impacts that this lack of knowledge amongst medical professionals have. So we all know that most OBs have to look up the term hyperemesis gravidarum, right? 
So if they have to look up this term, how are we able to count on them to be able to go in depth and understand this term and apply it to our unique situation? You know, we are, we're kind of left with a bunch of doctors who just really don't know what they're doing. And so sure, some are going to try some things and sure, some are going to try their very best to help us. But then there's going to be some who just don't have time for us. And that's what a lot of us felt. A lot of us felt like their doctors did not understand. And for a lot of us, our doctors were practicing for decades. And so that was a little bit alarming to us. And we just, I think a lot of us could feel that we weren't the first ones that this might have happened to. Because as we all know, HG is more common than 1% to 2% of all pregnancies. It's closer to 10 to 15. Anyways, where was I going with this topic? Oh, yes. Ah, yes. So this next story comes from an Ontario mom uh, named Molly. And she experienced what it was like to be brushed off by her care provider. She had a high-risk care provider, in fact. So she would have she was with her OB from the start. And this OB... That clearly demonstrates that they were not looking out for Molly's best interest. And Molly had the courage to do something about it. In fact, she fires her OB. Uh, This is a great story and so insightful to what it feels like to live with HG and to get HG. Molly has, in her story, she has a pregnancy without HG first, followed then by a severe HG pregnancy. So she gives us insight and contrasts the two and Ah, this is a great story, you guys. Can't wait for you to hear it. Here we go. Um, No, no, I'm actually just super grateful that you're doing all of this. Um, It's nice having a community that's so supportive. Yay. I know it's been, it's been amazing to watch. That's for sure. It's kind of watch it grow and have people being like, yeah, like I want to tell my story. I want the world to know what the heck happened to me because it was most of the time pretty awful. <laughs> it's an awful experience to go through, but it's really bonding to have all of these other strong women to be able to share that experience with. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so let's get started then. Uh, I guess, Molly, do you want to tell me a little bit about um, yourself and like what kind of position you were in prior to getting pregnant for the first time? Um, were you, do you have a partner? Where were you living? That kind of thing. Yeah. So um, it was just at the start of COVID. Um, I had gotten back from Australia traveling abroad. Um, I met my partner and we had a pretty quick romance, got engaged that summer, um, decided to start trying to get pregnant for our first baby right away that fall. Um, got pregnant within the first month of trying and had a really, really easy, typical pregnancy, um, no complications whatsoever, uh, despite me being high risk with a previous heart condition, not pregnancy related. Okay. Yeah. So your first pregnant or your first pregnancy was, uh, without HG, Hey. Yeah, it was, uh, without HG, without any complications at all. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So you got to experience that. Yeah. Yeah, it was a super enjoyable pregnancy thinking about it, comparing it to my recent pregnancy. Like just blissful, peaceful, other than the typical aches and pains. Really, really enjoyable. Um, Wow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then your typical long labor. um, I did fail to progress. So that wound up in an emergency Mm -hmm. C-section, which was a bit traumatic in itself. Um, And that kind of led to a lot of um, postpartum depression and anxiety. 
which I, you know, that took quite a while to recover from. Mm -hmm. And then the meds for that kind of made everything a whole lot worse. So I'd stopped taking those at one point. Oh, okay. What kind of meds were you put on? I was on Ciprolex. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was on a super low dose and that wasn't doing anything. And my doctor's response was, oh, let's put you on a higher dose. So they doubled that dose and that made, um, honestly, it made me super suicidal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. The intrusive thoughts were just constant. I couldn't get myself out of this hole that I'd kind of dug for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I stopped taking the meds, it felt like everything kind of went away. And that's when we decided to start trying for a second baby. So our daughter was 10 and a half months old when we found out we were pregnant with our second. Okay. Yep. And uh, she was a typical, you know, perfect baby slept through the night, which gave us that false sense of security that having a second was going to be super easy. Mm-hmm. True. And, uh, thankfully, she continued sleeping well through through my whole pregnancy with my second. Oh, that's uh, really good. I suppose. Oh, yeah. I don't know what I would have done if she didn't sleep through it. <laughs> so you, um, I guess let's, let's jump now to the second pregnancy. Uh, when did you start to notice that you were feeling quite sick? So I had like morning sickness pretty much from week four. Okay. Yes. Yes. And that was just constant nausea. I wasn't throwing up at that point, but I was just dizzy. I felt sick constantly, no matter what I would do. And I just kind of thought it was the heat running around with a toddler all the time, kind of being run down because my husband works away from home. Okay. Yes. So you're by yourself kind of with your, with your toddler. Oopsies. Yeah, exactly. And we had just bought a house. So we were doing a lot of yard work and I was trying to keep up with all of that stuff at the same time. So I thought I was just overdoing it. Right. Right. By week nine, I started throwing up a lot and couldn't keep anything down. I had lost 20 pounds in the first month of pregnancy. Wow. That's a lot for first month. Yeah, it was a lot. And my doctor pretty much brushed it off as, oh, your, your BMI is a little bit higher. So it doesn't really matter. Baby's still healthy. You're still healthy. You've got a lot more to lose. Wow. So when, when more comes off kind of thing. Was this your general practitioner or was this an OB at this point? No, this was a high risk OB actually. Okay. Cause you are located in Ontario, correct? Yeah. I'm in Northern Ontario. So, um, okay. We've got a lot of, uh, I guess everywhere in Canada at this point has a lot of shortages in doctors. Um, yes. So we're all kind of crammed in wherever they can fit us at this point. Yeah. And so you were with a high risk OB because of your previous pregnancy, was it? Or uh, no, just due to my heart condition because oh, it is genital. So there's a chance baby could have it. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you were with um, this high risk OB since like the very beginning of your pregnancy, hey? Yeah, they put me with her from nine weeks on. Okay, so that's that's an interesting point because uh, not many get OBs from the beginning and OBs should be the ones who know, you know, the most about pregnancy conditions that are challenging. So that's exactly. a very interesting point. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, continue. Exposure. So she, uh, was it a girl? Yes, it was. Uh, so she kind of made you feel like you had a little bit more like there was more room almost like it wasn't a concern to her that you were losing this weight. Hey. Yeah, exactly. She almost wanted me to lose more and then wait until it got more serious to discuss it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Which I mean, with how society is today, that 
kind of triggered a lot of depression, which of course snowballed throughout the pregnancy with more weight coming off. Mm-hmm, right. Um, did she recommend any any interventions for what was happening to you? So the first appointment I had with her, um, she said she was going to give me a prescription for Diclectin, which never came to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, she decided against putting me on Diclectin because she thought that eating ginger and having crackers was going to help more. Oh, wow. I don't know where that thought process comes from, really. Of course, of course. At this point, um, did you know the term hyperemesis gravidarum or was it said to you? No, at this point, I had no clue what was going on. I thought um, that I was just really, really sick. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even come across your um, social media at this point. Ah, okay, right. When did so, you, I guess, when did you find me in relation to your pregnancy there? I found you at the end of the summer, more towards the beginning of fall. So I started feeling really sick in July. Ooh, yes, yes. And uh, from there, I thought it was really just a horrible morning morning sickness. Ah, right, right. So then you kind of were just, it really got internalized for you because the doctor was making you feel like it was nothing to be worried about. Were you able to talk to anybody about it? At first, I wasn't really able to talk to anybody. I'd spoke to my husband. um, And oddly enough, I'd been taking like a ton of prenatal vitamins, um, lots of herbal supplements, cranberry, uh, extra vitamin B, vitamin D, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, just trying to keep my intake as high as I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, oddly enough, my prenatal vitamins never have sat well with me. I've never been able to keep them down, which I think is the folic acid. Mm-hmm. Um, so my doctor was pretty unhappy about the uh, the prenatals not staying down. Um, and she was pretty adamant about me not taking any other vitamins. So we stopped all, all other vitamins. And that's when I noticed I was getting sicker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it went from like feeling nauseous. And at that point I was just throwing up every day. Like it was honestly like a family guy episode where they're just all throwing up, following each other around. Right. Yeah. It's going to be like, if you could describe like a day in the life during that time, what did it look like in the, like, were you waking up um, super, super early in the morning or were you able to at least sleep a little bit? At one point I would wake up between uh, about three and five every morning Mm-hmm. And I'd be super nauseous, couldn't sleep for a few hours. And I'd either have to run out of bed to go throw up or I just have to sleep with a bucket beside my, my bed and I'd just be puking for hours until I could start functioning properly. Right. Wow. Um, so with you being just so sick and really not being able to function, um, when did cannabis kind of come into play? Um, it came into play pretty much the first month I thought something was seriously going on. So that would have been August, I believe. Um, so my hu- husband was back at work and I was saying like, I can't function. I can't do this. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to, you know, terminate if this continues because mm-hmm. I knew I just couldn't care for my toddler. And this was so like different than your last pregnancy. Oh, exactly. And with me being high risk to begin with, I didn't know what kind of strain it was going to put on my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So his idea was to try CBD. And if the CBD didn't work, then try THC. So I'd given CBD a few weeks And it was doing enough for me that I wasn't like constantly throwing up, but I was still puking a few times, which it was better, but it still wasn't manageable. Yeah. It was still like a low quality of life. Exactly. It wasn't anything enjoyable. I couldn't play with my toddler. I couldn't even, you know, change her diapers without throwing up. Right. Oh gosh. That that would be a hard task. 
it was awful. She was showering, you know, 10 times a day just because I couldn't handle it. Yeah, of course. course. Think about the water bill going up. True. Oh my gosh. All of the different factors of uh, the the increase of so many different things that cost money during HG. It's crazy. It's awful. I don't think I'm ever going to financially recover from the debt HG has put me into. Yeah. I was going to uh, say like, how did uh, hyperemesis gravitarium financially impact uh, you and your family? My goodness. So my husband ended up having to take caregiver leave, um, go off of his work because they couldn't give him leave to be home with me because he has to be away for a month at a time. Ah, okay. Yes. So he went on caregiver leave. Um, my doctor messed up the forms three, like three separate times. Oh my gosh. So that was prolonged for the entire duration of my pregnancy. Wow. So we didn't actually have like income coming in regularly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While we still have a mortgage to pay, a car payment, all of my medications, because I was also diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which the HG made a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. Yeah. So there was a lot of that to deal with. Then also having to deal with my toddler who was eating more, who was, you know, still going through diapers, wipes like crazy, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And then all of the travel expenses to and from every single appointment, which at this point I was going to three, three appointments a day. Wow. And you, do you guys live a little bit further away from the doctor? No, thankfully we were right in town. Um, but my husband for the first couple of months, he was still working. So I would have to drive him to and from work too. Oh, wow. And of course we all know driving is such a a difficult thing. Oh, exactly. And it would be like a few hours away from our home. So I'd have to leave at the crack of dawn, come back, throwing up on the highway with my kid in the car. I'm like, what am, what am I going to do? This isn't, this isn't life. Right. It's a, it's a horrible state to exist in. (laughs) Exactly. It's not enjoyable at all. Yeah. So so you started to use, or you tried the CBD, it didn't, it worked, but not so much. So then with the THC, how were you, um, how were you consuming it? And in which way, in which ways did it help you um, a little bit more than CBD? So at first I was just using my, my vape pen, my cart pen. Mm-hmm. And I was just having a couple of hits throughout the day whenever the nauseousness was getting really unbearable. Um, and it was giving me enough like energy and keeping me like on my feet long enough to make my kid dinner or to clean up or do a diaper change without throwing up. Yeah. Um, and then after that stopped being enough, which was a few weeks, um, I had to start going to having joints or smoking out of um, like a little metal um, one hitter. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems to do a lot more for me. Um, it pretty much stops the throwing up on the spot. Um, I don't get any side effects like the nauseousness that I would get with the Zofran. Mm-hmm. Um, it stops the headaches. It stops the shakes that I get after throwing up for so long. Yes, those dreaded those dreaded shakes are so... so yeah, they're... Cool. Aren't they? Covered in sweat. <laughs> um, Did so you yeah. ever... Yeah, the cold chills through the night from it. Um, yeah, once I was done puking and covered in sweat, I would like I would get such bad chills that it was like I was shaking. <laughs> that happened a few times and I thought I was gonna die during those episodes. Honestly, like it was so bad. Yeah, it's it's scary. And especially when 
like for for your case too, where your doctor is just like, oh, it's normal, but it's it's terrifying to exist in this body that they're deeming normal when you're like, um, I might not survive this. <laughs> and no one's willing to listen to you. You just feel crazy. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So with uh with the cannabis, did you uh notice like any certain strains helped more or any percentages? Um, so I usually like to stay on the higher end of the THC. Um, anything for me between 20, 28% is really good. Um, the higher the terpene, the better. I find a lot of the citrusy terpene. Um, pine as well is really helpful. Yeah, pining. Yeah, I've heard that for sure. Limonene, pining, mercine. Yeah, the more citrusy, the better. Um, a lot of the ones with the orange in it as well are really great. Mm-hmm. I also found that orange and lemon was my kind of my jam. <laughs> yes, very much so. I don't know what it is about it, but it it kind of like kicks the nausea away for a little while, long enough to get things done. Yeah, I that's right. I kind of thought about it almost like as if, well, terpenes are found in like essential oils too. So like if you were to sniff like lemon or orange, I feel that would help a little bit. And so it's almost like it helped while smoking it too. <laughs> exactly. It makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, did you have any other like little hacks that you found really helpful besides cannabis? Um, like for example, some moms did use like essential oils where they would sniff or alcohol wipes that they would sniff anything, anything kind of out of the norm that you found helpful. Um, I'm not really sure if it's out of the norm, but I stopped using a lot of traditional cleaners. I couldn't handle the smell of it. It made my nose burn more than ever before. It would trigger these instant headaches I started using a lot of vinegar and citrus peel. Mm, Yes, yes. Yeah, just things like that. I don't know if there's any correlation, but it just feels like my body doesn't want the stuff around anymore. So I'm just going to listen to it. Yeah, that's, uh, I've felt that way as well, especially, well, postpartum during pregnancy, everything was just gross, but I did notice a lot of. Uh, I was like very turned off by like a lot of chemical kind of stuff postpartum. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very much feeling like that recently too. Yeah, it's interesting how HG, it changes your perspective on a lot of things. And it's also, but it's like a biological response and a mental response. So it's like you can control, but it's also your body is just like full, full body response. Like I cannot deal with this stuff anymore almost. <laughs> It's so funny you mentioned that. So since being postpartum, I haven't been able to uh, to handle any meat products at all. Mm-hmm. So during pregnancy, meat was one of my biggest food triggers. I couldn't handle the smell, the taste, the texture. Yes. Looking at it sometimes was too much. Right, right. So I've been trying a lot after pregnancy to keep my protein up. Mm-hmm. And I can't, every time I have meat, I'm so sick for hours yeah. And it's it's the weirdest response because it doesn't taste bad anymore. I'm craving it. I want it. But it just, it makes me sick. My body can't handle it. Yes. My body was the same way as well. It was very specific meat, like like sashimi, like sushi kind of thing. If I were, was taking in any sort of protein. I also found like um, miso soup with that added flavorless tofu. That That's one- so weird. Fish is the only thing that I can handle, like animal wise. Okay, this is also a very common thing I'm finding. So, yeah, if you, unfortunately, I hate how expensive fish is and like sashimi and stuff. But I mean, if it's the only protein you can get in, then it's definitely 
worth it. <laughs> but oh, uh, the flavorless tofu is something that I kind of used as a a tool to help get some food in me. Or did you ever have those uh, booster? Yeah, I think they're called boost protein drinks. Yes. So because I was diabetic, I actually had to have one every night for a bedtime snack. Oh yeah. Okay. And uh, there were quite a few different ones I got to try all super chalky and horrible, but at least it was yeah. some protein and some calories I was getting and that wasn't coming back up. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I wish that they could invent something that was tastier, more appealing. I don't know what the solution would be, but I just wish they would invent something better. <laughs> there's one, there's a, a Similac Moms one. I'm not sure if you've tried it. It's not terrible. It doesn't taste like your typical, oh, like, Yes. One mom messaged me when I was postpartum and struggling and she's like, this exists. And then I think I went to a couple stores where I live and I could not find it, but I'm sure you could probably order it online. It's, it's made by Similac, right? Yeah, it is. Oh, it could have been off the shelves because of the recall. Oh, that's exactly it. (laughs) I haven't seen Similac mom on the shelves since probably last February when the recall started. Right. That, that would be it. Yeah. But apparently if you um, blend the, like the chalky ones with ice and a little bit of chocolate milk or like any milk beverage of your choice, even alternative milks, it gets a lot better. It's more like a milkshake. Yeah. That's a really good idea. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. Lots of ideas to get those down. Yeah. That's awesome idea. I like that one. I'm going to write it down. (laughs) Um, did you have any go-to meals during HG? Um, I guess we were kind of talking about the boost, but was there anything non-meat, I suppose, that you could get down? Yeah. So sushi was one of my go-tos towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, pizza from one particular pizza place. I couldn't handle pizza from anywhere else and it had to have mushrooms. Um, oddly enough, bacon was one thing I could handle, but only on the pizza. Okay. Interesting. I could not do bacon, but maybe on, yeah, that makes sense. Actually. (laughs) It was weird. If I couldn't taste the meat, I seemed to be okay. And if it was in small doses. Yes, that's right. Definitely could not have a strong flavor. And I guess when it was covered by the grease of the pizza and the pizza sauce and marinara sauce, I couldn't taste it. (laughs) That's right. Yep. Yep. But I totally get that from like a certain pizza place as well. I also had to do the same thing. (laughs) It's weird. The little like things you find during an HG pregnancy just to survive. Yes. Yeah. Like the fact that tap water doesn't go down too well. I don't know about you. Did you experience not? I couldn't handle tap water at all through my pregnancy. And then towards the end, I started to be okay when the HG kind of like went away. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as my son was born, tap water started tasting like crap again. Ah, yes. It's yep. awful. Uh, it's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. <laughs> it is. And I think my supply is suffering from it too. Yeah, it uh, unfortunately potentially <laughs> there at least there there's like other alternatives like lots of like smoothies you can have instead of drinking water. But it's still tricky when you can't drink water, especially when you're breastfeeding. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I picked up the weirdest pop habit during my pregnancy. Oh I'm not yes. Usually, I hate it. I don't like the sugar. It feels weird on my teeth. I yeah, me too. Like five cans a day of cranberry ginger ale. Oh, wow. And and I could not do ginger ale. So that's so funny that you say that. Mine was Coke. I came, I have a really, I had to come off this like Coca-Cola addiction. (laughs) It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy because I did not drink pop prior very much at all. (laughs) It's so strange. Yeah. It's crazy what our bodies kind of come up with. Um, I was going to say, so your 
HG kind of, it toned down towards the end, hey? So when you were in labor and delivery, how was that in terms of nausea vomiting? So I had a planned C-section, so I luckily didn't get to go through natural labor this time around. Oh, okay. Yes, that would be good. (laughs) Oddly enough, I spent the entire morning while I was in the hospital waiting for my C-section throwing up to the point where I had to have medication um, through my IV for it. Wow. And were those uh, nurses and doctors uh, who were kind of helping you through the C-section, were they helpful towards your condition and state? Oh, they were phenomenal. Um, So I actually had to fire my OB at the end of my pregnancy. (gasps) Wow. Okay. Interesting. So I fired her. She called me crying from her home phone after working for a 24-hour shift at the hospital. Oh. Because she was so baffled that I fired her. And she didn't want me to go to the college and report her because she also happens to be a professor at the college. (laughs) So your reason for firing her essentially was what? Because I went into heart failure through my pregnancy because she was super, super negligent Mm -hmm. and failed to take into account um, the strain that HG was putting on my body and strain the medication she was prescribing were putting on my heart. Right. And I couldn't, like, I was having anxiety attacks constantly because I couldn't get through the thought of her cutting into me, essentially. Like, if she wasn't even capable of filling out paperwork properly three times, how could I trust her to cut into me and deliver my son safely? Oh, my God, of course. The trust is just severed. Exactly. And then for her to call me crying on top of that. And it just felt like a guilt trip. Like, I was trying to grocery shop with my child mm-hmm. while she's getting angry because she's teething and she doesn't want to be there. And I'm trying to tell this doctor, this, you know, grown woman who's got kids of her own to stop crying on the phone to me because I don't feel guilty. Wow. Yeah. Good for it you was just for, like standing your ground. It was just a trip. Like it was a lot to handle. No kidding. Yeah. So she, so she gets fired um, by you and then what happens? And sorry, at what period, like what week are you at pregnant here when you fire her? Like 36 weeks. And I was due to have a C-section in two weeks. Wow. So then hospital gives you a new OB? Um, Miraculously, the doctor who I fired reaches out to a doctor who I saw in the emergency room um, because I had actually been bleeding uh, through my pregnancy from throwing up so much. It had caused cervical bleeding. Wow. Um, So I had gone into the ER around Christmas time. And I had seen the doctor who became my OB towards the end of pregnancy, who delivered my son. Mm-hmm. And he was the most understanding doctor. Um, he made me feel super safe, super comfortable. Like it was a total switch from the doctor I had previously. Wow. And of course, a part of you must have felt like, how come I didn't get this kind of care throughout this entire time? It really hurt because he was the doctor I'd been trying to get into the whole pregnancy. Yeah. And I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I wound up with this doctor. And I I think there's a reason for it. Everything happens for a reason. Maybe, you know, this was meant to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it was <laughs> opening your eyes to, I guess, how mm, negligent, like, the medical system can be sometimes. So maybe going forward, do you have different perspective on the medical system or anything? Oh, absolutely. It could be. I'm definitely more um, more cautious going forward with medical professionals now and more 
liberal with speaking if I'm not comfortable with something. Yeah, that's that's a really good kind of observation and positive sort of takeaway from the unfortunate events. Yeah, I feel like HG makes you makes you have to advocate for yourself. It yeah. gives you a backbone if you don't have one already. That's so true. And then and with that, it's a gift because we have children too. So now we'll be able to be better advocates for them as well, which is a blessing. Oh, absolutely. I feel like since having HG and going through that, I am a better advocate for my daughter and my son now. Mm-hmm. I'm looking out for their better interest way more like in a long-term kind of way than I was previously. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, for During postpartum, have you uh, felt inclined to use cannabis again? Are you using it? Is it helping you? Yes. So um, I've actually been using it my whole postpartum recovery. I had used it my postpartum recovery with my daughter and recovery was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, recovering from a C-section obviously isn't an easy feat by any means. Mm-hmm. I've been super blessed. I feel like the cannabis has helped me, you know, have more energy and more of an ability to eat properly. Yeah. That's amazing. It, it helps me sleep. It helps my body feel relaxed without having to take muscle relaxers or, you know, rely on the op- opioids, sorry, that uh, the doctors prescribe. Oh, okay. Yes. That's so they, they prescribe opioids after a C-section, right? Yes. Yeah. They give you a hefty dose and then uh, you're also sent home with a massive bottle of Tylenol with codeine and then muscle relaxers. Oh, wow. And (laughs) this is kind of like new to me, I guess, because I haven't talked to as many people who have had C-sections with HG and stuff. And then you breastfed. So was there like, is there a risk when taking that type of medication and breastfeeding? Oh, so um, there's a huge, huge risk with mm-hmm. breastfeeding with that. Um, it's highly addictive to the point where my husband, uh, he picked up the prescription for me. The pharmacist said like, you need to watch out for possible um, like signs of addiction, signs of withdrawal, that sort of thing. You need to be attentive in the baby and mom. Wow. Wow. And uh, okay. So they give you this medication. Does, does cannabis, is cannabis able to almost like contribute to decreasing the medication. Um, yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Interesting. So were you, you were able to kind of take maybe a little bit less? Yeah. So probably by like day four or five, I wasn't taking any of the, uh, the meds anymore other than a couple of like regular Tylenol medications okay. and I was just using cannabis throughout the day to manage my pain. Okay. Interesting. That's cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Oddly enough, I also found with the meds, there were a whole ton of side effects that I did not like dealing with. So the muscle relaxer made me super tired. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tylenol really upset my stomach because it was just really harsh and strong. So I'd have to take gravel with it and the gravel made me sleepy. And then um, the opioid I was prescribed made me feel super buzzed and super out of it all the time. So I couldn't even function. Wow. Whereas cannabis, I was able to, you know, care for my kids. I'm able to do things. I can clean up after them. I can actually be a mom. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. What was, yeah. um, what was your relationship like with cannabis before you had kids? Uh, like what, when was the first time you ever, I always like to ask moms, when was the first time you <laughs> cannabis? Oh boy. Um, the first time I had used cannabis was at some point in high school. Um, I, 
I think my relationship with cannabis got more serious when I was 17 and moved out for college. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I went to a big party school and I was always partying with the frat guys who of course would always have a bong going around the table while we drink. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd have a hit off the bong and my relationship with cannabis kind of grew from there because it was managing my stress from going to school. Um, my stress from, you know, being away from home at such a young age for the first time, mm-hmm. just kind of trying to grasp adulthood basically. Yeah, for sure. I, it must've been a helpful, helpful tool. I always kind of say, I, I wonder what it would have been like if I consumed cannabis in my teenager years. How <laughs> do you say that? So cannabis was actually really bad for me. The first year I was using it at school, I was using it as like an escape. Right. Okay. Yes. And with alcohol, like you kind of said as well, right? Oh, exactly. I was in crazy party girl mode. I wasn't doing anything beneficial for myself. Right. Not using it medicinally. <laughs> no, exactly. I wasn't using it the way it's intended for, the way it should be used. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that had ultimately led to me dropping out of university and yeah. going to school for a culinary in college, which cannabis really, really got me through that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So yeah. Kind of directions, but it ended up working out for you. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. And then once I became a chef cannabis and I were, were pretty good friends, we, uh, I didn't go anywhere without it pretty much. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it helps, it helped you a lot in that period of time. Exactly. It got me through a lot of mental health issues with, you know, my upbringing, with dealing with my family and toxic relationships. Um, was um plant, uh was cannabis used in your family or was it looked down upon? So my mom is pretty um not progressive. Yeah. She very much looks down on people who use anything on that like kind of non-pharmaceutical uh-huh. medications. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I did find out recently that my grandmother, uh, prior to her passing, was a huge cannabis user. Oh, um, really? Yeah, she's the one who also had HG through her pregnancy. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. That's another question we're going to dive into after this. But um, yeah, so she, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, she was a big user. And then her husband, my grandfather, is also a very large user. Um, he's my favorite person to get high with other than my husband. That's awesome. <laughs> Great. He's my my almost 70-year-old stoner buddy. <laughs> and then um, pretty much my whole, like my grandfather's side. Um, smoke as well, which is really great. Cool. Yeah. It's really nice having family that I can be myself around. Yeah. Did you ever face um, any like hard times for uh, consuming cannabis and using it during pregnancy? Yes. I had a lot of issues with my doctor. Um, So she thought I used CBD through the first couple of weeks and shamed me for that. So I told her I'd stopped using it and left it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a really hard time with my mom and my sisters. Mm, okay. They were very, very against it, very shamey. Um, lots of stuff had happened around that to the point where we no longer have a relationship. Wow. It's it's deep. It's very deep. It is. But I think my mental health is worth more than a relationship at this point after everything I've gone through. Of course. Yeah. Um, you're, How many sisters do you have? I have three. So I've got twin sisters that'll be 19 this year. And then I've got a younger sister who just turned 16. Oh, wow. So they are not at like baby having years kind of quite yet. <laughs> oh, no, they're just at the peak of life. Life is just starting out for them. 
So have you considered the fact that they might also face hyperemesis gravidarum one day? Yes, I absolutely have. And if they ever, ever do experience it and ever need help, I'm more than happy to be there for them. That's amazing. If they choose not to come that way, I hope they get the help that they need in those terms. Right. Um, You're, so you said your grandma had HG, but then how about your mom? So my mom said she really didn't have much morning sickness whatsoever through her pregnancies, even with her twin pregnancy. Ah, okay. She had relatively easy pregnancies minus having gestational diabetes in her last pregnancy. Okay. So it was hard for her probably to relate to what was happening to you. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And so she kind of gave you a hard time. And then your grandma, sorry, your grandma was the one that had HG? Yeah. My, uh, my Nana. Okay. And then she's the one. So did she use cannabis like during HG or was that like a later thing? I don't really know much about her, her HG pregnancy or about her life prior to, um, marrying her second husband. So she was married for a first time in a really abusive relationship. Um, and then had escaped from that after having all of her kids and, uh, yeah, married my, my now grandfather. who is the the adoptive father of all of her kids. Okay, yeah. Wow. Wow. So life before there is kind of not known to me. Right. I immediately kind of think like, wow, an abusive relationship and she had hyperemesis gravitarum. Wow. Exactly. And then prior to my husband, I was in a very abusive relationship. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. So, so it's a very full circle. Yeah, something that you have, I'm sure, reflected upon very much. My goodness, wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's very, very eye-opening. I think HG's really, really been a spiritual awakening. Yeah, I think, I think about having HD and I think about the moms who are stuck in situations with partners who are, well, either unsupportive or worse, like abusive and my heart just, oh, my heart just breaks. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah, I can't have them. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have the supportive partner I did or worse being in an abusive relationship. Yeah, me as well. I don't think I would be here maybe today. Honestly, that would be so hard to go through. Yeah, it's, there's got to be some sort of support for moms out there who need it. HD marks especially. That's right. And I think building up a community and I think moms who have had HG, I hope that maybe they'll go on to become like professionals who help moms with HG. So for example, like I hope that maybe some moms will use their skills. They have HG and maybe they'll become therapists who help HG moms or like, or OBs even who are fully competent. And so at least there is that, like, there is that wonderful hope there. (laughs) Exactly. And with, you know, us kind of changing the cycles, Mm -hmm. the way our kids are raised, hopefully them and their partners are going to have different experiences if they do have HG as well. That's so true. That's very true as well. Um, I think, yeah, times are changing and the way that we raise our kids will hopefully be so different. And I hope that they grow up in a world if they do have HG, um, that they are, they are, they receive so much better care than what our generation of moms received. Yeah. Honestly, I hope it's just like a well-known 
medical condition at that point. Cause like, I'm tired of having to explain it to medical professionals every time I see someone. Yeah, that is very, very true as well. And something I've heard a lot is that it, as much as people are starting to tell their stories, it's still so not known about. Like sometimes I, sometimes I think it's more known about it than it is because I'm around it every day. But then I, I, I hear these stories and I'm just like, wow, you were completely disregarded and just like this medical professional just ignored that HG was even a thing. Like, how is that possible when it's so life threatening? Well, the worst part is when a medical professional diagnoses it as something else. So I was diagnosed with really bad reflux my whole pregnancy. Oh, reflux. I know that for a fact. (laughs) However, my medical professional just kind of wouldn't even look at any other option. But then I was also accused by many other medical professionals and non-medical professionals of a self-diagnosis. Which, I mean, hey, even if it is a self-diagnosis, I should be given some merit because I know I don't have reflux. Exactly, exactly. Well, there's and there's criteria of like that you clearly met and so many moms meet that doctors are just ignoring. Like exactly. the weight loss your first month should have been a- immediate. Well, by the end of my pregnancy, I had lost 45 pounds and I'm still losing. That's, yeah, that's crazy. And um, something to keep an eye on for sure as you have seen my journey. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I was going to ask you kind of like now, um, you said you're doing pretty good, but in terms of, it's hard to, you're probably trying to compare it to last time, but it's not comparable, of course, because of, of different pregnancy uh, symptoms and stuff. But um, are you doing anything different this time to kind of like make sure that you're on top of your mental health and not letting yourself slip like anything that you're doing? Actually, yeah. So um, pretty much week nine, I started going to therapy. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing therapy bi-weekly, weekly at one point, and then back to bi-weekly towards the end of my pregnancy um, just to try and stay on top because I did have such bad postpartum depression and anxiety and even a bit of postpartum rage um, after my daughter was born. And I knew I wanted to be a better mom for her. And I knew with HG that I could very easily slip down that, you know, hill again. And my depression would be worse than ever before. Right. Oh, yes, that's right. Your first time that postpartum period of time was bad. Sorry, that's yeah. right. Um, so yeah. just staying top of the therapy was really, really key for me. That's great. And you, um, you really enjoy your therapist then that you're working with? Yes. Yeah, so I was working with a therapist through the uh, diabetes ward. And unfortunately, my time with him has ended. He was phenomenal for me. He's taught me a lot that uh, I've been using pretty much on the daily. Um, and I was also just released from the uh, perimental health ward here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I no longer have depression, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Okay, congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah, just anxiety, but we're working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've graduated from therapy and I'm just working with my uh, my family physician on managing my meds. That's perfect. That sounds like a great, you have like such a really good plan and you've really thought ahead. Well, I watched your story and it broke my heart seeing how you didn't have any resources to you. And I wanted to come out of it being the best self I could be. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And then also, um, I find this time around, I've put a lot of boundaries in place. Whereas my last delivery, I had no boundaries up. I had family visiting days after I had my daughter. 
Mm-hmm. I had people questioning my parenting abilities. I was just really vulnerable and really naive. Whereas this time I'm just, I'm a lot more confident. I, I'm not allowing visitors until I'm ready. I'm doing what I think is best and I'm not listening to the negativity. That's fantastic. Yeah. Just, I find looking at it with a different mindset has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you, you sound strong when you talk about it too, which is just so beautiful to hear. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. That means so much to me. (laughs) It's, uh, it's been so wonderful to hear your story and to, there's some very significant parts to your story that just had my like jaw on the floor. I just cannot believe how uncared for your OB or how uncared for you were by your OB. And I'm, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think it needed to happen though. Right. Like you were saying. I know, I know if I was treated the way I was, there's a lot of other moms out there who are being treated the same way and it's heartbreaking. It doesn't need to happen. Nobody deserves it. That's right. Yeah. And you sharing your story is a, is a great step in the right direction of better care for HG moms. So thank, thank you. you for, uh, thank <laughs> you for giving me somewhere to share my story. Thank you for sharing your story and for being, being a voice for hyperemesis gravidarum. Absolutely. Thank you for everything, Tori. Of course, no problem at all. It's my pleasure. <laughs> HG moms are some of the bravest women I know. We were built from darkness and had to rise above. We were given little help, resources, or community by those in charge of our care, but we created it ourselves once we could unite through the internet and tell our stories, where we could tell the truth about plant medicine and surviving HG.